Good morning. My name is Cor. I am the, uh, what do I do? Pastor of Outreach and Assimilation here at Hope, which means I uh, take people out for coffee. You've heard me say that maybe once or twice, but I do. And uh, three of you, Mark and Mitch and Andy, uh, this week we'll do it, all right? Sorry I haven't emailed you back, but we're going to get together this week, all right? Um, I'm also, I guess, becoming maybe known as a guy who preaches on some of the holidays. I've uh, preached on uh, New Year's this this year and Mother's Day and then uh, Father's Day last week and then today. The biggest of them all. I mean, far surpassing any of those previous holidays, right? Who's celebrating with me today? It's half Christmas. It's half... Today is half Christmas and so... Merry half Christmas to you. Uh, my, my wife is big into Christmas, and so we will be watching our first Christmas movie of the year. Um, we will be pulling out all the tacky Christmas decorations that she doesn't allow me to bring out when December rolls around, but uh, half, Merry half Christmas to you and, and to yours uh, this, this holiday season. So... Um, we are currently uh, rolling in the book of John. Uh, I want to invite you to open up. We'll be in John chapter 6. We've been in John chapter 3 where Jesus talked uh, with a man named Nicodemus. And many times these interactions that Jesus has just gives him an opportunity to just present a discourse about himself, about, what he, about who he is, what he does, what he's doing. So in Nicodemus, he comes and And Jesus flat out just tells him, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. The Son of Man must be lifted up. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Okay? Then the woman at the well, John 4, gives Jesus an opportunity to reveal himself. Okay? He comes to this lady and says, give me some water. Not that kind of water. I'm talking about spiritual water. She doesn't understand. He's able to reveal himself to her. And she says, no, 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 don't you understand? I mean, when the Messiah comes, he's going to tell me and explain everything. And Jesus says, I'm him. It's me. I'm here. And then last, the last couple weeks, we've been in John chapter 5, where Jesus heals an invalid. 38 years. Heals him. And that gives him an opportunity to talk to the religious leaders and to share with them who he is, what he's doing, what he's all about. And this week is going to be similar. John 6, feeding of the multitude, is going to give Jesus the opportunity to tell people about himself, that he is the bread of life. And those will come in the ensuing weeks. So John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain. And there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for one of them to get a little One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Lost my spot here. Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, 
So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. Verse 12, And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Verse 15, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Verse 1 begins, after this, after what? What is, he, what is he referring to? And there's a couple possibilities. If you go to the other accounts, now this is the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. So we're going to use the other three to help us kind of flesh this out because John's a little unlike the others. But uh, he could be talking about after this, after John the Baptist was beheaded, they went off. That could be one. Seems more likely, or even a combination of the two, that... Um, that they're just going for rest. If you were to turn to Mark 6, Jesus had called the 12 and sent them out. Sent them out to do a number of things. He gives them authority over evil spirits. He sends them out two by two with this instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. This is the disciples. Given authority over demons, that's going to become important later on. They drove out the demons, anointed many sick, and they were healed. And then in verse 30 it says, The apostles gathered around Jesus, reported to him all that they had done on their journey out. And then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So probably the combination of, of John being killed, John the Baptist being killed, and them just being crazy, they can't even eat. Jesus just grabs the 12, and they head out to a solitary place. So coming back to chapter 6, verse 1, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Tiberius just referring to the Roman emperor, just your Roman emperor, so you can just change the name of the sea. So that's, that's the, the name change there. Verse 2, and a large crowd was following him. Large crowd. How far are they following him? One commentator said probably as much as nine miles around this sea. Tracking them along the course of the sea, as many nine miles. So, I don't know, hike to Mall of America. I mean, yeah, this is, this is some distance that, they're, that they are following Jesus and the disciples. Large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the six. Some missing details that, that could be included in our helpful is that Jesus spent the day teaching and healing. One of the passages says he looks out and he has compassion on the crowd coming towards him because they're like sheep without a shepherd. But this crowd follows him and they've been seeing. It's a, it's a, the, the tense of the verbs is that this is a continuous thing. They're seeing him do these miracles. They're seeing him do these signs. And they're following him. It's continuous. They've been doing this. They are doing this. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. So he's kind of setting the stage. Passover's near. Why is that important? There could be a couple reasons that, that people speculate about. One is just Passover means people are coming to Jerusalem to celebrate. If you look at Exodus 12, 
Passover is given. Um, historical account is that there were, there were many plagues. One of them was this, this plague of the Passover that, that um, a plague came to all the firstborn unless, unless the doorposts of Israelites were covered with a, with a lamb's blood. Okay? And that meant this, that the Spirit would pass over those houses and not take the firstborn. And so this Passover is an annual trek to just come and remember that time when God spared them. And so that means that as Jesus is out amongst this crowd, this crowd could be ballooning up because many people are coming this way, taking this route around Samaria, coming down this route past the Sea of Galilee. And also, this, the, a, a big reason that this could be mentioned in John's Gospel is that this feast, what this represents, points to Jesus. Because he is essentially the Passover lamb that God passes over any judgment on us because of what Jesus is going to do. So a couple reasons that could be in there. Uh, historical and uh, theological, kind of a, a, a foreshadowing. Can, picking it up in verse 5. Jesus, lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large, large crowd was coming toward him, he says to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? I mean, this is like a huge question. It's just like people, just a mass of people. And they're around the Sea of Galilee, which is desolate. It's just remote. And there's nothing around there. It's night. It's getting late. Kind of had that same, same feeling like growing up when I'd be somewhere with my dad and I had to have like a buddy there. And be kind of getting late, like into that dinner hour. I'm kind of wondering like, Dad, are we going to get somewhere soon? Because I got this buddy here and what you decide kind of reflects on me. And, it, and I think it's the same way with the disciples. It says in Mark 6 that many who saw them leaving, okay, leaving, going up, going across the sea with Jesus, many who saw them, not just Jesus, but them, the disciples, recognized them. Why did they recognize them? Because, remember when Jesus sent out the 12? They stayed in these people's houses. And so there's a connection there. These people, as they're crossing the sea, it's like, I know them. I recognize them. I'm following them. These are the guys that healed and cast out demons. And so they far, start following them. And so I feel like there's some, I'm kind of one of those includer people, like if there's tension in a group, I kind of like feel that. And I'm feeling it for the disciples here. Because Jesus turns to them and says, where are we going to get money to buy these people food? And, and, and these people, they know me. I, I stayed in Joe's house. And I got nothing for them. I got nothing but Jesus, this should be on you because you're the one who brought us here. And now you're asking me where we're going to get money for these people to buy food. Oh, I'm, just, I'm just feeling the tension like that, that Philip and, and Andrew is just like, oh, I was following you. I thought you had it planned out. Dad, you know, it's like, Dad, I, I thought you had like McDonald's in your back pocket that you're going to spring for my friend and I here. Also, it says in Matthew 14, 15, a parallel account, send the crowds away. So, you know, the disciples are telling Jesus, send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. That's how we'll figure this out. And Jesus replies, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. <laughs> what? And verse 6, we're let in on the story a little bit in verse 6. He said this to test him, 
for he himself knew what he would do. Now, tested not in a negative sense, just looking for a response. What is Philip's response going to be? Verse 7, we find out what it is. Philip answered him, 200 denarii, eight months' wages. Eight months' wages. Who's got one of them full-time gigs? Figure out what eight months' wages is. And are you ready to spring for a meal for one night for 5,000 people? Eight months' wages, 200 denarii, would not buy even enough bread for each of them to get a little. Just a little. Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? It's like, thanks, Andrew, but you're not helping here. You're not helping. Five barley loaves, two small fish. And verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 number, just the men, so then include women and children. Thousands, thousands of people there looking for food late in the day. Just stop a moment and st- consider what it would take to get 5,000, 7,000 people a meal. Consider that. I mean, I've been in the restaurant business, worked at Don Pablo's. It's an incredible amount of work and labor and food preparation. Incredible. It's like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. It's difficult. It's like nearly impossible. Like Phil Mickelson trying to win the U.S. Open. <laughs> nearly impossible. It's like trying to get some of you to celebrate half Christmas. I mean, it's nearly impossible. I mean, this is, this is a huge thing. This is a monumental task in front of them. And so why it makes it so special in the end. Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves. When he had given thanks, some accounts say, looking up to heaven, giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, listen to this, as much as they wanted, that they were filled And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. This is incredible. This is huge. And most people think that this would bring some um, thoughts of the past. Manna in the desert. Uh, If you go to Exodus 14, God provides bread for the people when they needed it. Another, even, maybe even closer account, 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 42 and 44. A man came from Shamalisha, bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley, break, bread baked from the first ripe grain, along with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. And look what his servant says. How can I set this before a hundred men? Elisha answered, Give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord said. They will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. There are times in Israel's history where this had been done by God before. It naturally would have brought some parallels to their mind. Just like, I mean, we do this, don't we? Any blizzard, any snow blizzard, 
that comes in Minnesota is compared to what? Which one? Halloween 91. I mean, we got this, right? When we experience something, something in us says, compare it to that. I mean, it happened with Phil Mickelson losing the U.S. Open. He just choked. What other chokes have been recent? So you go back to the Van de Velde, is that his name? The British Open. The guy just, he like triple bogeyed the last hole. He like hit it into the creek, got his shoes off, went into the creek. I mean, major choke job. Any sports team in this city that goes far is going to be compared to what team? 91 Twins, right? I mean, we do this, and, and for them, it must have been reminded, reminded them of manna in the desert. God just providing that. Or this story of Elisha, God providing. It affects people. It affects people so much that we get this claim in verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is coming into the world. No doubt, a connection to Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 and 18, where God says, I'm going to raise up a prophet from among you. Put my words in his mouth, and he will speak all that I've commanded him. Them saying, this is him. Some of them. Some of them saying, this is him. Verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. It's not what he's after. Jesus is not after an earthly kingdom. A heavenly kingdom is more like it. Now we're going to use this illustration in weeks to come. Jesus is using this this sign to set himself up so he can give a giant discourse about who he is. But I think there's some incredible insights, incredible insights that God gives us about about Jesus. If you go back to uh, John 1, verse 3, remember the introduction that we spent some weeks on, verses 1 to 18, in there is verse 3. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. What happens here is a creative act. Jesus creates. This is a huge sign. Last week I talked about the top ten reasons why Jesus is God's son, why Jesus is God. Here's another reason. Jesus creates. William Temple writes in readings in St. John's Gospel, if the Lord was indeed incarnate, the story presents no insuperable difficulties, insurmountable difficulties. But of course, such a creative act is quite incredible if he is other or less than God incarnate. What's the point? He's God. And even, even at that, even though he is God and God creates, I'm still just flabbergasted. I'm flabbergasted by creation. Give you a little example. Um, most of the time, I think, as, as preachers, as, as pastors, as leaders, as elders, we're supposed to be kind of like living out the things we're talking about. You know, so we, we maybe give a message or teach on, on faith. There comes with that a certain expectation that we'd be people who are faithful. Huh, look at that. Or holiness, and that there'd be some measure of holiness found in our lives. I'm looking at this. And Jesus creating. And I'm saying, I got nothing. I try and create. I am tearing down my porch and I'm going to build up a new porch. And I'm failing. Like, I mean, I, I was pulling some windows off. Shatters. Just shatters on me. My wife comes out and, and looks and, and I kind of hide the part of my body that's like bleeding over here. And hey, sweetie, I got It's like, I'm trying to, I mean, you, you got the basement project going. It ain't like that, but it is here. It's, Jesus just creates, and it's incredible and magnificent. 
I want to share a PowerPoint. I went to a conference um, that discussed sharing um, Jesus with Muslims, and this was just not even a part of the conference. It was a devotional, just to get us going in the morning. But uh, I'm blown away by God as creator. I'm just blown away. And he shared this PowerPoint. I can only share one slide. There's, there's, God creates really atoms and all that and that subatomic stuff, but sometimes I just like to go, think about God just huge. And this is what it says. Speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. Now just think of that. What that'll do is that'll get you around the equator seven times in a second. That's how fast light can get around, how far light can get. That's incredible. But listen to this. Distance to the moon is 2.5 light seconds. So you're going 186,000 miles per second. Two and a half of those will get you to the moon. Even further out, distance to the sun, eight light minutes. I mean, think of this light. I mean, picture the, being riding the light. You're on the, the light now. You're moving at the speed of light. I mean, just imagine this. Distance to Pluto. You're traveling the speed of light. It takes you 4.5 light hours. Hours now. But you're traveling the speed of light. I mean, this is huge. This creation is huge. I'm rolling out to Pluto. Distance to the nearest star. 3.5 light years. If you can't grasp that, I mean, that's just mind-boggling. Traveling at the speed of light. Three and a half years, you'll get to the nearest star. Maybe help you to better understand it this way. If everything were reduced in size by a factor of a billion, then the earth would be about the size of a grape. The moon would be a foot from the earth. The sun would be about five feet in diameter, five feet in diameter and about a city block from the earth. Keep moving it out. Jupiter would be the size of a large grapefruit and five blocks away from the sun. Saturn about 10 blocks away. Uranus and Neptune about 20 and 30 blocks away. A human were the size of an atom in this, factoring it down to a billion. But the nearest star would be over 24,000 miles away. It's incredible the size of this universe. I mean, we sang songs about it. Unbelievable what God has created. As I'm going through this week, I'm just like, God, what do you want? What do you want me to say to your people? It's like, I can't point to an easy example and say, hey, just look at that guy. Just like, I mean, you are so unlike any one thing, any one person. When you create, you're doing something that's just like, this is God business here. This is God stuff. Steve and I had a chance to play a really nice golf course, uh, the TBC in Blaine, and uh, man, that course really kicked our butts. <laughs> it was just ugly. <laughs> I had uh, nine penalties through the first nine holes. Uh, it was not good, but uh, I didn't even remember this till about Friday, but somewhere in the midst of that playing golf, God just drew my attention upward. It was just a beautiful day. It was just perfect. On Monday, oh man, the afternoon just cleared up. Things were beautiful. I looked up and it was just blue sky. And I was just on a little bit of a hill, so there was like, I was kind of above the trees and the, I just was like, <sighs> and then I started, you know, yelling at my ball to get where it should be. But it was just like, for a second, it was just like, wah! This sky, and this only, I can only see a 
portion of the sky, but it's incredible. Some of the commentators, when they're talking about this and, and applying this, they go to the five barley loaves and the two small fish, and they say, that's our role in this. That's, you're gonna, God's going to use you and, and whatever you can bring. And I don't, I don't see that as necessarily an application in this text. The application of this text is just marvel at God who creates out of nothing. He feeds 5,000. He creates the heavens and the earth. And then the heavens and the earth, he puts out his hand and he measures the heavens and the earth. That's a big God. That's the God we come to worship today and through this week. You might be experiencing something in your life that is monumental, similar to these guys, feeding 5,000 people. A job change. Some of you have somebody that's very close that is struggling with eating. Eating not enough, eating too much. Some of you are struggling because somebody close to you is dying or has died. I don't want you to make these things any smaller. Some of these are big things in our lives. My encouragement to you this morning is in the midst of those things, marvel at how much bigger, how much greater God is. Will you pray with me? Father, it's true that we make you out to be too small at times. And for that, we apologize, God. We say that we are sorry. But we know, we've heard this morning, that through you all things are made. That you are able to multiply bread if need be. And you are able to come into our lives as creator and make things out of nothing. And that is totally unlike anybody else. You're able to create. God, help us. Help us when we're talking with other people about you to not point just at the five barley loaves and the two fish and how we were a part of something big, but that we'd be pointers to you, the creator. That we'd point people to a tree or to the sky or to a star. And we'd allow them to marvel at your work Not that they'd serve and worship the created, but that would give us opportunity to introduce them to the Creator. In Jesus' name, amen.